So what stops most people starting a business? One of the major things that comes up when we talk to entrepreneurs is time. And I always find this really interesting. The objection is I can't start a business because I don't have time. But when you dig in, what you find out is they work hard during the day. They come home. They maybe look after the kids in the evening. They get to 7, 8 p.m. They're exhausted and they sit on the couch and watch Netflix. There's time there, but there's no energy. And what I've discovered is it's the amount of energy. Most people run out of energy before they run out of time. And that, if you can build unlimited energy so that you can get stuff done and make more happen in a day than you can a week, that is going to help you build your business like never before. And that's the subject of this episode. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. And helping me on this show, I have Tanessa. Tanessa, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming along. And Tanessa is a health consultant that helps entrepreneurs scale their business by optimizing their health, focus, and productivity with science and biohacking. And I found that really interesting. When you sent the introduction email and said, Alan, have you thought about this? Have you thought about how you can get more done? And one of those sentences you said is help people get more done in eight hours than most people can get done in a week. And you do it by optimizing performance and capacity of your body and brain so you can produce more meaningful, impactful work. That got my attention. Is it really possible to have that much energy in a day that you can outperform the average Joe than what they do in a week? Well, absolutely. And when you look in the entrepreneurial space, right, when we look around and you know we all know how to use similar softwares or we're marketing using emails or you know facebook ads or however it might be like that if we're all operating at 50% there's no room to pull ahead there but the entrepreneur that can operate at 90% of peak capacity be able to use every minute that they intentionally put into their business that's the entrepreneur that is going to pull ahead because their work is going to be so much more quality and such of high impact relative to someone who's staring at their screen and just, you know, putting out content because it's a schedule versus feeling inspired and focused, right? Interesting. Yes, absolutely. And the people on my courses, when I run the pop-up business school, they comment how much energy I have, how much I get done and how much work I do. But I don't think I'm playing at a full game. And my wife and I regularly comment that Netflix is kind of the default relax mode. And we quite often run out of energy later in the day or run out of energy at lunchtime and need a break and then have to come back at it. And yeah, we just run out of power before we run out of time. And I I would love to improve my energy. Yeah. And I don't think what you're experiencing is uncommon. So many of us experience, you know, that midday energy crash or, you know, we get to the end of the day and we're completely exhausted, but we look around and it seems like everyone's like that. So we just have accepted that as normal and we don't even question, you know, is this how my brain should feel? Because it's always how it's felt. We look around, everybody's tired all the time, right? 
<laughs> well, it's become one of those things. It's almost a badge of honour to be uh, busy, tired and overworked. And I think it's interesting because my best time for me, Tanessa, is the mornings. That's when I'm at my best. If I get up, I have a nice coffee and I get to work. I can really focus for a good two to three hours. And like you said, I achieve so much in those two to three hours, but I do then crash a little later on. And when I try and do work and I'm tired, I end up finding myself sat at my laptop, staring at Outlook and struggling to write an email or getting distracted by Facebook or there's so many different things that happen other than the work I should be doing when I'm tired. Yeah, definitely. Well, there's a lot of components that go into that, which we are going to cover today, but it may just have to be analyzing what is going on between that highly productive block that you have and the next block of work, which isn't feeling so productive, right? Yes. Yes. And what happens between there? What's the difference? And I haven't quite figured it out sometimes because sometimes I can sit at my laptop and I will fly through emails, make decisions, and I will feel on full form. And other times I open up my inbox, look at it, get stumped by the first one, close it and sit there quietly. And it's interesting. What's the difference? And is it my energy that's making the difference of the way I'm thinking or... Yeah, it's fascinating. And that's what I'd love to talk to you about today is how do myself included and the listeners to the Rebel Entrepreneur podcast build this energy that will help us to build our business? Like what are the building blocks of energy? Yeah, well, what I find is the best analogy to help this make sense is the way we treat our brains currently. So I want you to imagine that you just got the fastest, most high powered computer and you know, you, you have all the specs and it runs really fast and it is supposed to help you maybe edit videos or work on your business and it's supposed to perform highly. And you get this computer and you keep it in the box and you put it on a shelf. I find that that is the way we treat our brains. They are the most you know, magnificent pieces of machinery on the planet, right? They have capacity <laughs> to do so many wonderful things. And the way we can, you know, solve problems and create solutions for other people, we treat it like that high-powered computer that we don't even take out of the box to figure out what the heck it can do. We just leave it sitting on the shelf and operate with our clunky old computer that's, you know, taking 30 seconds to load a browser window. That's how we treat our brains. Interesting. So so what should we do differently? How do we... Yeah, because I feel like using the computer analogy, at times I have a lot of windows open, a lot of programs mm -hmm. open, and it's kind of struggling in there. How do you improve performance? Because one of the things that I've repeated at courses for many years is your clarity of thinking will determine how quickly you make progress. Because if you think clearly and it's simple and you know what the next action is and you've got a plan, it's easy to implement. If things are cloudy and foggy and you're not thinking clearly, it's very difficult to make progress. Yeah, Alan, you hit the nail on the head. It's the foggy thing. The reason that we can't take our brain out of the box is because of something that plagues entrepreneurs and it is brain fog. <laughs> Have you heard of brain fog? <laughs> you had brain fog. Uh, <laughs> I can understand the term. I don't think it's one I've ever used before. But yes, some days you feel like it's raining on the inside, not just on the outside. 
Yeah, absolutely. And for, you know, if your listeners haven't heard of the word brain fog, it refers to more so a collection of symptoms. And you might identify with some of these. They include things like, you know, forgetting to respond to emails and, you know, forgetting where you left your keys, things like having low energy midday or fatigue. You kind of feel confused and don't know where to go with an email. You can't focus. You find you're like easily distracted. Every ding and ping on our computers has, you know, off on mm. another task. You're wondering what's going on outside. You're opening your Amazon browser being very easily distracted and then thinking that feels really clunky or cloudy. And it's like when you're trying to create or maybe design something and it just feels difficult, like it's not flowing as it should. And it feels like it's forced and it feels like it's coming across in our work. And that's that kind of brain fog. It's just that overarching lack of performance of our brain, right? Yes. And I have felt all those symptoms. And I'm sure the people listening uh, to the podcast have felt quite a few of those symptoms in different places. The question is, because it happens to all of us, the question is, how do we reduce it so that we can be on form for a higher percentage of the time? Yeah, that comes down to reducing inflammation. So we always know of inflammation as things like, oh, I sprained my ankle, it's inflamed and swollen, right? But inflammation is basically an immune response to things that shouldn't be there or shouldn't be going on. And that can come down to anything from, you know, what we're eating during the day, the amount of recovery we're giving ourselves after, you know, exercise or the ability to restore our body and brain during sleep. So we have to get to the root cause of what's causing all this brain fog. And that comes down to inflammation. And what we're going to talk about today, the five building blocks are five ways that you can reduce the amount of inflammation that's leading to all of that brain fog, because the brain fog is not helpful when you're trying to run a business. It just slows you down. <laughs> no, it's really not. It is really not. So what are these five things? What do I need to focus on to improve my energy? Yeah, the first one is going to be getting enough sleep. Now, this is one of those topics that I was guilty of myself a couple of years ago. You hear the, oh yeah, get better sleep. And I used to, you know, fast forward through those parts of the shows or skip through because I was like, yeah, well, <laughs> no, you don't get it. I am in bed by 11 and I'm up by seven. I get eight hours of sleep. You don't need to worry about me, but it's so interesting until you take your brain out of the box or until you actually understand what it means to have a high-performing brain until you can feel what that feels like, you never know what you're missing. And once you have it, there's you could just never go back. And so once I tackled sleep, that was like, whoa, this is the low-hanging fruit. You know, that 20% of your effort that gives you 80% of your results, it starts with sleep. Interesting. I always feel like I sleep well. I have a Fitbit on my wrist, which tracks my sleep and gives me a score, which always makes me know whether I'm getting good or better sleep. And I don't know how accurate that is, but I do know when I've slept well in the evening, I get far more done the next day. So how do you actually go about getting good sleep? I get going to sleep earlier. I get sleeping longer, but how do you actually improve the quality of sleep? Yeah, that's the second building block. But I think just going back to the only tip I would have for that first building block is getting enough sleep is good in concept. But I think one of the things, and you might be aware of this because you're like me, you wear a Fitbit. But before I had a Fitbit, what I never understood was that 
it is totally normal to spend between 10 and 30 minutes awake each night because our brains naturally wake up between sleep cycles, but the wake-ups are so short, we don't even notice it. So when Mm. I often look at my clients' sleep data from their Fitbits, if you go to sleep at 11 and you wake up at 7, that should be eight hours, but you're not accounting for the time you spend awake. And I've had clients come in that spend anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours even awake. So when you take that away from the time you thought you were asleep, you're only getting six, six and a half hours of sleep. And that's actually considered to be sleep deprived. So one of the first things is giving yourself enough sleep opportunity. And what that means is you have to account for the time that your brain naturally spends awake each night. And obviously, we want that to be minimal, but that's not always the case. So looking at, okay, if I want to spend seven and a half to eight hours of sleep, I need to allow myself eight and a half, even nine in some people's cases, hours of sleep opportunity, if that makes sense. Interesting. And does it have to be in one block? Uh, do you mean like it, like sleeping, say, from one block during the whole day? Well, I kind of mean, do I have to sleep the whole, like, if I've got to spend nine hours in bed, that's a long time. Do I have to go to bed at 10 o'clock at night and get up at seven o'clock in the morning? Or can I do eight hours overnight and then have a nap in the afternoon for an hour? Or does it all have to be in one go? Yeah, well, what that'll depend on is how quality your sleep is, right? Because When your sleep is regulated, you're able to get very high quality sleep in a more condensed period of time. But when we start down this journey of improving our sleep, we it's a journey, right? It's steps that you have to take in a certain order. But initially, most entrepreneurs are spending way too much time in light sleep. And that's like junk sleep. It doesn't do a heck of a lot for your brain. (laughs) So we want to, first of all, just get good at having consolidated sleep. I work with so many entrepreneurs as well who have wake-ups during the night or they have trouble falling asleep or you know they'll, they'll wake up for an hour in the middle of the night and their brain will be going too fast to be able to slow down. So looking at can we get that amount of time, but if it needs to be broken up with a nap, that might be a solution. But as we're going to go into tip number two, you might see that it makes it harder to get the quality sleep when you're cutting off that duration. Yes. Yes. And it it did make me smile when you said junk sleep. (laughs) I've learned about the three different stages of sleep, the REM, the light, the deep. And when you said light being the junk sleep, it made me smile because I I get a lot of light sleep. And if you benchmark me against other people my age, I'm always getting extra light sleep, but I hardly get any REM sleep. Ah. Um, And I don't entirely know why. Yeah, and it's interesting. Let's jump into tip number two and talk about REM sleep. So the the second tip, which you kind of alluded to earlier, was not only do you need enough sleep, you need to get high quality sleep. And you said there were the, like you said, there were the three components. You have light sleep, which I mean, it has its purpose, but it's not the rich. It's not the gold of sleep. But we have deep sleep and REM sleep, which stands for rapid eye movement. That's when we do all our dreaming. That stuff Mm. is liquid gold to entrepreneurial (laughs) brains. Like that is the stuff we want to fiercely protect. We love REM sleep and there's reasons why. Like the deep and the REM sleep have very different purposes. So the deep sleep, we get luxurious, deep, slow brain waves. That is the restorative phase where our muscles recover from the workouts of the day. Our brain cells actually shrink back a little bit so that cerebral spinal fluid can come in and wash all the metabolites and breakdown of, you know, the decisions we made. All of the byproducts washes them out. It's like it's like a shower for 
your brain. So we need deep sleep to help restore us. It helps consolidate our memories. Think of deep sleep as restorative. We need that stuff. But then there's also REM sleep. That's the dream sleep. REM sleep is key for entrepreneurs because it helps us. It helps us with our creativity. It helps us problem solve. It enhances our memory. It allows us to emotionally manage ourselves. So, you know, it prevents us from being short tempered. And that really is key, especially when we're dealing with customers. We want to be able to respond to <laughs> criticisms, right? We want to be able to you deal with those. You want to take it well. Yes. Well, yeah. And that's part of being an entrepreneur. There are going to be setbacks or when you're, you know, your links don't go live or your landing page doesn't work. You want to be able to problem solve from a neutral place. And if you're not able to manage your emotions effectively, you are much more likely to send a snippy response to a customer or, you know, throw in the towel and go watch Netflix during the day. It affects your ability to manage your willpower. Like there have so many studies been done on our ability to act through discomfort and not give in to short-term gratification. And all of that is created during REM sleep. (laughs) It's so important. Interesting, because there are days where I feel like I feel as though the universe can throw any problem at me and I can handle it. And there are other days where I'm unresourceful and I get stroppy with the universe for what it sends to deal with me. And so that might actually be down to my sleep, not just my mood and my energy. Well, I guess my mood and my energy also come from there. Yeah, absolutely. It's that REM sleep is so important. It's what makes us good at being entrepreneurs. And 20 to 25% of our night should be spent dreaming or in REM sleep. And that you're looking at a minimum of an hour and a half on average, as opposed to deep sleep, which needs to be about 10 to 20%. The interesting thing about deep sleep, though, is deep sleep deteriorates with age. Uh, We just don't get as as many deep sleep waves. So what we're looking at there is if you know if you're in 40s, 50s, 60s, you're looking towards maybe the 10% range. That might look like 45 minutes a night. Otherwise, you want to be looking at 15 to 20% if you're in your, you know, your 20s or your 30s. So that is something that we also need to protect as well. And one of the best ways you can do that, honestly, is just to get a very simple Fitbit and be able to say, hey, what is the quality of my sleep actually like? And am I getting enough of it? So what is your deep and REM sleep like? You know, I know you said you tracked it with a Fitbit. (laughs) So I've been looking up the figures. Um, Last night, I got 63% light sleep, 12% deep sleep. So I feel like I'm not too bad on the deep sleep, but only 8% REM sleep. So when you're saying I should be 25 to 20 to 25% REM sleep, I'm only 8% according to my Fitbit. So let's go practical because this is something I would actually like to improve and something that I think every one of us should be looking at. What can I actually do to improve this number, Tanessa? What can I do? Yeah. So the key to improving that comes down to, first of all, understanding when in the night REM sleep happens. So predominantly the beginning of your night is deep sleep and predominantly the end is REM sleep. So knowing that Mm. most of our REM sleep happens in the end of the night. We are also a lot more easily woken up at the end of the night. So especially, you know, if it's the early months in the summer when the light is creeping in or you have someone who gets up earlier than you in the morning, we need to protect this. So one of the first things that I'll do is we need to do what's called a circadian rhythm reset. Have you heard the word circadian rhythm before? Isn't it sort of when you go to sleep and when you wake up? 
Yeah, exactly. It's it, how yeah. yeah, it's how our body functions relative to a 24-hour clock. So our bodies follow a nice 24-hour rhythm. We our hormones go at certain times when we get hungry, our metabolism and our sleep likes to follow it too. So what often happens as entrepreneurs is we will spend maybe an extra two, three hours one night staying up till midnight or one in the morning trying to get something mm. done. But most of our deep sleep happens at the beginning of the night. So if you miss out on, you know, one, two or three hours in the early part of your night, you might lose as much as 50 to 60% of your deep sleep. And that same thing happens on the other end of the night. So if we're trying to protect our REM sleep, if we're constantly fluctuating the time we get up in the morning, if you are getting up an hour or two or even three hours earlier some days, you're knocking out 50 to 60% of your dream sleep. So by constantly getting up and going to sleep at different times every single day, you're living in a perpetual state of jet lag. You're always missing out on one end of your night, which is impacting either your deep sleep if it's the early part or your REM sleep if it's the late part. Yeah, and it's interesting you use the word jet lag. Katie and I have both felt this when we've been traveling and also when we just stay out late one night because we're seeing friends or doing something. And then the next day you just, we feel jet lagged. It's almost as if you changed time zone when you haven't and you just feel tired. Um, that's, that's exactly the effects of not having a circadian rhythm that is aligned with your 24 hour clock when it's constantly being changed. It's exactly like that. It's like feeling like jet lag. So what do I actually need to do? Just pick a bedtime, pick a morning time and stick to it? Or what do I actually need to do? Yeah, well, the first step is pick a consistent wake up time, no matter what, even on weekends, because this is how you protect that REM sleep. So even on weekends, even on weekends, weekends. even on weekends. Yeah, I can't have a lion. (laughs) Okay, here's the interesting thing. So when we did the circadian rhythm reset in our house, we started, you know, playing with the times and we set that morning time. So our goal time was to get up at 6am. So we stuck with 6am over and over and over again. And the fascinating thing is now we wake up between 540 and six o'clock, give or take every single morning without an alarm clock, my brain just wakes up and I am fully refreshed. And the fascinating thing is when you are waking up without an alarm clock, because your body is so programmed to get up at that same time, what happens is you naturally wake up at the end of a sleep cycle. When we wake ourselves up with alarm clocks, what often happens is we cut ourselves off in the middle of dream sleep or deep sleep. And it can take as much as 30 minutes to feel fully awake because you're Mm. having to pull yourself out of the grogginess because you were in such deep sleep. But by allowing your circadian rhythm to naturally wake you up at the same time every day, you're guaranteeing you're finishing a sleep cycle. So it's quite wonderful that way. And After you have set your morning and you're waking up consistently, we have a natural 16-hour wake and eight-hour sleep rhythm. So you're going to start getting tired about 16 hours later. So if you're waking up at 6, naturally around 10 o'clock, you'll feel pretty tired. So you'll head to bed then. And what happens is as you stay in that rhythm, you end up getting that full spectrum of deep and REM sleep because it's not being cut off on either end. You're getting adequate sleep duration, adequate sleep quality. You're waking up without an alarm clock at the end of a cycle, fully energized, ready to hit your desk, creative. You got all the juice of the quality sleep of that night. I love it. Okay. So we've got start and end times, Mm -hmm. which I know I'm not good at. And I can guarantee that a lot of the people listening at aren't great at. What else can we do to improve this? So 
we have an addiction as entrepreneurs to our screens. A lot of us. Do you feel that? Do you find that you have, you're looking into your phone or your computer more often than you'd probably like? Uh, I've been very conscious of that and try not to. But yes, I know that a lot of my friends, the first thing they do when they wake up in the morning is check email. The last thing they're doing at the night is sat there with the iPad looking at social media. And yeah, I know how bad that stuff is for your brain. And I know if I look at something like that, my brain becomes more active and then I struggle to sleep. Yeah, exactly. And the reason for that is because screens, whether that be your TV, your computer, your phone, they emit a part of the light spectrum called blue light. And our eyes as humans are most sensitive to blue light. When this blue light enters our eyes, it passes past a little part of the brain called, let's just keep it short, it's called your SCN. And what it does is it helps our brain decide, is it day or is it night? So when we're looking at these screens and the light is coming in our eyes, our brain is being like, hey, it's daytime. Great. So if you take out all the computers and all the electronics that, you know, modern society has given us and you go back to the time before screens were common all the time, naturally, when the sun set outside and it got darker, there was less light available to our eyes. So when that light started to dim and, you know, take on sunset hues like red and orange, it enters our eyes and it tells our body, hey, I think it's time to go to sleep soon. Let's release some melatonin. So have you heard of the hormone melatonin? Yes. Yeah, it's a wonderful hormone. It gives us those sleepy feels. It basically signals to our brain it's time to wind down and go to sleep. So naturally, when the sun starts to set and the lights get dim, our brain receives less light. It's time to go to sleep. Let's release some melatonin. But when we're staring at our screens right up until bedtime, whether that be the TV or you're scrolling Instagram or you're checking emails, that blue light is going straight into our eyes. It's telling our brain, it's the middle of the day. Why would we need any melatonin? Let's stay wide awake. And then we go to bed at night, we turn our lights out and we lay there and we have troubles falling asleep or it affects our quality of sleep. And blue Mm. light before bed, it has a large impact on REM sleep particularly. Like even as much as two and three nights after blue light exposure on the first night. It's fascinating. Interesting. So how long before sleep should you not be using any screens? I recommend at least at least 30 to 60 minutes. But there are also some other strategies you can put in place because There are definitely times where we need to be checking things last minute or, you know, maybe we're in the middle of a launch or there's something going on in which we need to be on our screens or on our phones. So I have a three-part kind of good, better, best strategy to help remove blue light. So the first one is really simple. It's just to put a blue light filter app on your devices. Have you Hmm. seen that on your phone or do you have that one installed? I do not. It kind of goes light and dark. So the actual phone goes light and dark at night, but I don't know if I've got a blue light filter or not. Yeah, I think with iPhones, it's called Night Shift, and on Androids, it's just called Blue Light Filter. But what it does is you can set it to remove the blue light from your screen at a certain time each evening. So Mm. on my phone, I have set up the Blue Light Filter schedule to remove all blue light from my screen at 7 p.m. So my phone will take on kind of a really hideous orange-brown tint. <laughs> but I'm, I, that's the thing is I'm asking myself, what do I want tomorrow to be like? What can I put up with an orange-brown screen until then? Heck yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, so there's lots of different options. I mean, for your computers, there's a free app called Flux that'll do the same thing to your computer screens and it'll just pull the blue light out. So I think that's kind of your your good strategy. That's something that everyone can do. It takes no effort after you put it into place and it works for you on a schedule, right? So that's the easiest one. The second option would be to get a pair of blue light blocking glasses. Have you seen any of the, the funky blue light blocking glasses? No, I have not. And I wear glasses all the time. Yeah. Well, there's two varieties on the market. There are ones with yellow lenses, which are great, you know, for during the middle of the day. But uh, about eight eight to 10 months ago, invested in a pair of blue light blocking glasses at night that actually have red lenses in them. So when you look out, all you can see is red and orange and a little bit of yellow light. All blue light, most green light and most purple light is blocked from entering your eyes. So essentially what it does is it replicates sunset. So these are really neat and they have pairs that actually fit over top of regular glasses too, which are kind of neat, but it essentially is like putting your brain on sunset mode. They're so fascinating. Interesting. So there's actual science behind this, that these blue light filters actually help us to feel better and sleep better. Oh, yes, for sure. Because it's the blue light that prevents melatonin release. Melatonin is what allows us to fall asleep, stay asleep soundly, right? And it also blocks out the blue light that affects our REM sleep. So when we're looking through these red glasses, it prevents that light from entering our eyes. And it essentially, it like I said, it simulates sunset. So it naturally starts to help melatonin release earlier. It makes you feel drowsy so that when you turn out your lights, you are so ready to fall asleep. I've fallen asleep in the middle of conversations with my husband on probably more than one occasion. Uh, You know, you're just kind of like half reading in bed, half chatting. I fall asleep all the time because they simulate drowsiness. There's actually a warning on the box that says don't operate machinery or drive with these glasses on. (laughs) I think you should definitely stay safe and blame the glasses, not your husband's conversation. I do. I do. I do stick with that. It's the glasses. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Uh, cool. So I will Google some blue light glasses. Cool. I love this. So we've got some practical tips. We've got the amount of sleep. We've got the start and the end time. We've got knocking out the blue lights through the glasses, through the filters on the phone, the filters on the laptops. And this is something you can actually track if you have a Fitbit. Yeah, definitely. What you can start to look at is once I start pulling out these things that affect the quality of my sleep, does it change? And that's that whole concept of biohacking is am I able to put measures in place that I can then quantify to see if they improved, right? So like if you take the blue light out, whether that be through the the apps or the glasses or just even turning off screens an hour before bed, does my sleep quality improve, right? I love that. Yes. Kate and I, and particularly everyone at Pop-Up Business School, are huge fans of the saying, what gets measured gets improved. And if you don't know how good your sleep is, what your weight is doing, what your energy is doing, what your profitability of your business is doing, how do you know if you're improving it? So I love having a benchmark. I think that's great. And I've had this benchmark of this Fitbit on my wrist for years, but I've never really bothered finding out how to improve my sleep or tracking it. And I feel like I'm getting like I can actually take practical steps now. Is there anything else I need to do before we move on from sleep? Honestly, I could go on for hours about sleep because I find it so (laughs) fascinating, but I'm going to give you my third top tip because we went through my two that make the biggest impact. This is the third one is make sure your room is completely dark. And what I mean by this is 
in the middle of the night, if you hold your hand up in front of your face, you should not be able to see your hand. It's called the hand test. When I look at the, I call them sleep sanctuaries. When we look at the sleep sanctuaries of my clients, what I often find is you look around and there's indicator lights and power bar lights all over the room, which are emitting light during the middle of the night. And some studies have shown that our skin actually has photoreceptors. So when light, even as much as hits our arms, it can wake us up, especially if you're a light sleeper. So I looked around my room and I was like, oh, my sound system, my speaker system has a light. My phone, when it's fully charged, a bright green light goes on. When my husband's phone blinks because a message came in in the middle of the night, that can wake me up. So I'm looking around the room and I'm like, how can I eliminate it? And it doesn't have to be hard. I took some black electrical tape and put it over top of the sensor and <laughs> that fixed that whole problem and it cost me nothing. <laughs> I love that. I'm just looking around the room here at the moment we're in a hotel in Leipzig in Germany and there is a big what do you call it air conditioning thing on the wall <laughs> that has giant numbers that light up and I remember yeah I can remember that in the night thinking what is that green light shining over us hotels are the worst the last time I stayed in a hotel was for uh, it was for my bachelorette party and I went around unplugging everything because when you're in a hotel, <laughs> there's a coffee maker, there's an alarm clock, there's a phone, there's an air conditioner, sometimes there's a fridge, there's a stove, there's a mic. It gets ridiculous how much stuff and that is really disrupting our sleep. It's our it's it's constantly waking us up. So, you know, maybe packing a roll of black electrical tape or, you know, getting a couple blankets to throw over that air conditioner might serve your sleep well. I love that. I love that. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So sleep is critical to getting the energy for the next day. And I think what would be interesting for everyone listening is if you do have something that tracks your sleep, whether it's a Fitbit or the Apple Watch, does the Apple Watch track your sleep as well? It does, but it needs to be paired with an app. I know one of my clients is, uses an app called a Pillow app. And it allows us to export data directly. But I think she does pay a small monthly subscription for that. I don't think it uh, has a built-in tracker of all the metrics that I like to see, basically. Interesting. Cool. Mm -hmm. So I think there is some stuff here. If you're feeling tired in the day, if the listeners are feeling tired in the day, then first step is how are you sleeping? And properly how are you sleeping? Not just how long, but what are the different stages? That's the first step. Absolutely. It's the low-hanging fruit. It's the thing that is the easiest to fix and has the biggest impact far and away on your energy and your focus and your clarity during the day. Awesome. Cool. Okay. So let's move on. We've looked at how long we slept and how well we slept. What are the next building blocks of entrepreneurial energy? How can we yeah. increase our juice? So the next two come down to what we put in our mouth, because if we go back to what we said about brain fog being the reason we can't perform optimally, we can't take our brain out of the box, we want to be looking at reducing inflammation. And so much of the food that we eat is producing inflammation in our bodies. Our body's just not reacting well to it. So the next two tips are that. But the first one I'm, I will share with you is all about glycemic variability. And I know that sounds fancy, but it basically means how often and how big your blood sugar fluctuates during the day. So one of the biggest things we want to do is eat foods that keep your blood sugar as stable as possible. Have you ever heard about blood sugar rises and falls causing uh, some of the energy rises and falls during your day? No, not really. I know if I eat a load of sugar, 
I want to fall asleep afterwards. Well, I go on a high for a little while and then I want to fall asleep afterwards. So I have data that shows chocolate biscuits are not great for me. <laughs> but no, I don't really know that much about it. Katie and I definitely try and focus. We read Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Body, many years ago, and we followed his slow-carb diet for such a long time. And we know the importance of eating whole vegetables, stir-fries, beans, and we avoid highly processed carbs completely. And I'm pretty sure that's one of the reasons why I have high energy. It absolutely is. You've hit the nail on the head. Even without knowing the word glycemic variability, you were taking care of your blood sugar. So in order to do that, to take care of stable blood sugar, it's important to know how the sugar gets into our body. So when we eat food, it is absorbed into our body and the carbohydrates we eat turn into a fancy molecule called glucose, but it's also just called sugar. So when we eat a meal that produces a lot of sugar in the blood, what happens is we have this hormone called insulin that gets dumped into the blood. So I like to think of insulin as like a little Pac-Man guy who goes around and picks up all of the sugar molecules and his job is just to drop them off in all the places they need to go, like the muscles and the liver and the body fat. So that's insulin's job. So when sugar goes way up, that hormone insulin goes way up and insulin takes the sugar out of the blood, which causes a massive crash, which all of a sudden your energy just goes right into the toilet and you're just like, I'm done. Mm. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And so what happens is, especially with the North American diet, there's so many processed carbs and sugars and flours that cause massive increases in blood sugar and massive drops. I call that the insulin roller coaster, because you're basically getting a rush of insulin in and a rush of insulin out that pulls the sugar out and creates that like brain foggy, hunger, grabbing at snacks, grumpy, that kind of just like hangry feeling. Have you ever been hangry? Do you know the hangry feeling? <laughs> Do not ask my wife that question. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it, that is a lot of what's causing that energy crash midday. So then what I like to do is, well, let's look at the foods we're eating. There are certain foods that cause larger increases in blood sugar and then therefore insulin than others. So if I'm going to give you a spectrum of foods and I'm going to start with foods that increase blood sugar and insulin the least. So it starts with you have fats, then you move on to proteins, which have a little bit more effect, then vegetables. Beans and rice have a bit more of an effect. And then fruit, and then at the very end, sugar and flour, they have the largest impact on your blood sugar. So what that means is that if we want to keep blood sugar stable and have less changes up and down in our blood sugar, we need to eat more foods at the end of the spectrum that cause the least change in blood sugar. And those are fats, proteins, and vegetables with a little bit of beans and rice. Yeah, the standard meal at a corporate event is a in England at least is a bunch of sandwiches at lunchtime and you eat a bunch of bread with maybe something sweet biscuits afterwards or something like that and then everyone wonders why you all want to fall asleep at three o'clock in the afternoon and I definitely know that is the case. Katie and I, for the last seven years, have made salads for ourselves. And whenever I'm on a pop-up business school, people are always impressed. I come out with a giant salad uh, with a little bit of olive oil on top and maybe some beans or some lentils. And that gives me the energy. And I know if I eat clean, I know if I eat well, I can keep going. So 
I guess the rallying cry to everyone listening to this is fats, proteins and vegetables, not sandwiches. We need to eat vegetables for lunchtime. Is that the rallying cry? That's exactly it. And, you know, regardless of what time of day you eat, thinking that during the blocks of work, during those periods of my day when I need to be highly productive and focused, I want to focus on keeping my blood sugar the most stable. So that might look like something like, you know, a scrambled egg with some spinach and some peppers for breakfast. Then moving into lunch, like a big salad with an avocado on the side and maybe a chicken breast or some tofu, something that has proteins and fats and vegetables. And then if you're going to consume your starchy carb, whether that be, you know, a sweet potato or quinoa or rice or something like that, that it's at the end of the day. So that makes sure that during the part of the day where you need stable energy, that you are taking care of the blood sugar and making sure it's stable throughout the day. It sounds like my dream diet anyway. I love eggs in the morning. (laughs) I love salad at lunchtime. That's perfect. Okay, so we're fixing the amount of sleep. We're fixing the quality of sleep. We're changing our diet. We're eating stuff that takes us off the insulin roller coaster. Sounds like we've made good progress so far. What else do we need to do? Yeah, and going on our second tip, what we talked about by modifying your diet would be eliminating inflammatory or rancid oils from the way we cook and from our food. So we know that there are lots of different oils that we cook with and they like to sneak into all kinds of things. So Mm. we want to start watching for specifically oils that don't hold up under high heat or pressure. So if you think about the linings of our cells, whether that be for our brain or for our heart or for anything else, they have a cell membrane that is made up of fat. So you are what you eat when it comes to your fat. When you eat fat, it gets incorporated into those membrane walls and those membranes are what are responsible for what gets in and what gets out of your cells. So if we want to keep our cells healthy and robust, we want to make sure that the lining of our cells has integrity. But when we're eating these, I just call them crappy oils, they get incorporated into the lining of our cells and all of a sudden they start malfunctioning and not working properly and letting stuff in that shouldn't be let in. So the oils we want to watch for are things like canola oil, vegetable oil, safflower and sunflower oil, soybean oil. So the reason that these are so bad is because when they are cooked, so if you think about, even if you think about McDonald's, for example, how do they cook their fries? I used to work at McDonald's when I was 15. I know that you drop the fries into a big vat of either canola or vegetable oil. It is super cheap. And it has a lot of flavor. But the problem is your fries are now completely coated in these oils, which you're eating, and then get incorporated into your cells. So we want to be cautious in looking at not only the obvious sources, but looking at things like what kind of oils are in our salad dressings? What oils are we cooking with? How can we make better choices? So what should we be choosing? If we're going to do a stir fry, what should we putting in that? If we're going to cover our salad in an oil for dressing because oils are good we've said fats Mm -hmm. are good so we want to eat some of it but which one should be focused on yeah there are a couple that hold up extremely well under high heat and these are the ones we want to cook with they're avocado oil which actually has the highest smoke point which means it can be heated up really 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 hot and it won't break down so it keeps its integrity so we have avocado oil 
Butter is great, especially if it's grass-fed butter. Ghee, which is clarified butter. Coconut oil is good and adds a little bit of sweetness. Those are the go-tos when it comes to cooking with healthy fats. What I notice is sometimes when I talk to my clients, they like to use olive oil, especially, you know, in their stir fries. But olive oil actually doesn't have a high enough smoke point to cook with. It breaks down at about 320, 350 degrees. So I always like to say, use the olive oil and the sesame oils. Use those for salad dressings. They taste wonderful. But anytime you're going to be cooking them, use avocado oil, butter, ghee, or coconut oil for cooking. I love that. Great advice. Fantastic. I love this because I feel like there's a huge amount of practical tips that we can take and apply straight away. And I'd love to challenge everyone listening to this. Pick one or two things from what Tanessa is saying, and let's actually start doing them this week. So when you listen to this show, maybe change the oil you're cooking go around the bedroom and get the piece of tape out. There is stuff that we can actively do to improve our energy, which I know is going to improve our productivity during the day. This is fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, um, definitely. So we've done the top four and we promised five building blocks of entrepreneurial energy in the title. What's the fifth or are we just leaving people hanging? Oh, no, definitely. We're going to go for five. So the fifth <laughs> one is deals with, it helps kind of battle that chronic inflammation, which again leads to brain fog. And it's enjoying deep quality downtime. I like to say deep quality downtime because it really helps you understand what it should feel like. Because one of the biggest causes of inflammation in our body is chronic stress. When our body gets stuck in fight or flight mode, our immune system it shoots off all kinds of triggers and chemicals, which then create inflammation and creates brain fog. So we want to dial down the stress and start really, you know, enjoying the life that we're building our businesses to enjoy. Like the whole reason we are doing this is not only to serve our clients and our customers and help other people, but it's to create a lifestyle in which we can spend more time with our family and be more present, right? There's so many reasons to build business. One of them has to be that your life improves. One of them has to be that your clients' lives improve. We wouldn't be doing it if those weren't the two things. So I think you're absolutely right. But it can be a stressful journey. And I know in my early years, it was painful and stressful. Oh, absolutely. And I think that this is what's missing from a lot of entrepreneurs' uh, experiences with their business is the deep quality downtime, that ability to disconnect and have some time for enjoying your life and your family. So how do you disconnect? I've got some tools and strategies. I've been working on it for years, but I think it is a really important one for the people who are on the start of their journey or maybe even halfway through their journey in entrepreneurship. How do you actually disconnect? Because it can be really tough to turn your brain off. Mm. So one of the best ways is to use a second phone. So I don't know about you, but I have a box of old phones in my cupboard. You know, when you get a new phone and you're like, I should keep this just in case. And you put it in a box along with its charger. And then all of a sudden you have like, over the last 10 years, you have two or three phones. Do you have an extra phone mm -hmm. kicking around your house somewhere? I used to, but I sold them all off. Uh, oh, but <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. I had that box and I was like, why have I got this box of old phones? There is money sitting there. So I sold them all. I wanted the cash. Maybe I shouldn't have done though. 
Well, yeah. And you know what the fun thing is, is it's so easy to get a second phone. And I don't mean a second phone with a, a phone plan and the ability to text and everything like that. Because if you think about a lot of what we do on our phones as entrepreneurs is internet-based, whether that be email or that be Instagram or Facebook, or you know, we're in our Google Drives or our Dropboxes, a lot of it is internet-based and not actually to do with calling in and calling out, right? Yes. Yeah, I so, rarely make phone calls in that way anymore. Exactly. So what I did was I found my old phone, which still works great. I just happened to be, you know, at that point in my plan where it was time for a shiny new phone. So what I use is this old phone is the business phone. This is the phone that has all the social media apps and the email and everything like that. And I use my current phone. It is empty with the exception of ways my family can get a hold of me, which is phone and it's text and I might have a couple workout apps on it, but it literally have like my life phone <laughs> and then I have my business phone. And what that does is it allows me to keep Instagram and Facebook and email off of my personal phone. So mm. when I am done for the day, that phone goes off. I'm not sitting there during family time, browsing Instagram, replying to comments, just doing that last email check, just in case something important came in. It really lets me stop what I'm doing because there is no way on my phone to engage in it. I love that. I love yeah. that. I feel the other thing I could do is uh, get my wife to put my phone in the hotel safe and not tell me the code. <laughs> that would fix it. That would fix it. And maybe we all need a safe in our house. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you can get those safes that you put something in and it holds it away from you for an hour and then it opens it again afterwards or you can set a timer on it. I do feel like we need separation and forced separation at time because it those apps you've mentioned, they are designed to keep you on them. And if you're running a business, you've also got the excuse of this is how I make my money. So not only the apps are designed, but you're making money through it. That's a dangerous combination to keep you addicted. Oh, absolutely. And it doesn't. And when we're trying to spend time with our family, it doesn't serve us because how many times have you had an email come in that you just happen to check, you know, just at dinner really quick or wherever, maybe you're out with family and you just check really quick. And you're not in the place to respond to it, whether that you're not the mental place or you literally don't have time because you're out with family. But now all you can think about is this customer that you have to reply to or an email that came in, something you have to fix. And it just grates on you and you're not able to actually enjoy and be present with what's going on around you. Because all you can think is like, I've got an email. I haven't responded to it. What are they going to think if I haven't responded to it? They're going to think I'm a, a bad coach or whatever our thought process is, right? I had exactly that. And it really affected me. Actually, I remember I was out with Katie. She was trying on clothes. So you do the, the thing where you sit outside the changing room and I reach for my phone, check my emails and it's on my day off. And there's an email from a customer that really annoyed me. And I remember the day I should have been spending time with the person I love the most. I was thinking about that email, not be with her. And that, that changed everything for me because I can't, I couldn't even respond to that person because it was the weekend. They wouldn't get it. They wouldn't get it till the weekend. There was no point me dealing with it. There was no point me looking at it. And it took me away from the things that I actually wanted to spend my time doing. So I know exactly what you mean. If there's a way to turn email off over the weekend, if there's a way to stop looking at your phone, I really like the second phone idea. There has to be some separation. Otherwise, you won't spend time with the people you care about. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And like, it doesn't need to be like 
if you even went out and bought and you could probably buy a very very basic new phone. I know here in Canada, I think it's like 120 bucks. You can just get a basic phone if you don't have an extra one. But I mean, when you're looking at what is the cost of constantly being checked out on your family or those you love, or even, you know, your, your downtime, maybe you're at the gym constantly checking all your emails and stuff like that. Like what is the cost? It just seems so small in relation to what you gain by having that downtime that's letting you show up the next day excited and charged and ready to go to work and you know in- inspired by your business not like it's it's running your life yes definitely definitely and one thing i would love to suggest to everyone listening is do not check your emails first thing in the morning go be with the person you care about, be with your family, do your teeth, stay present in the moment and do not check your emails first thing in the morning. That can wait till later. Your emails should not be dictating what you're doing in the day. They really shouldn't. So I love this. Okay, cool. So we've got the deep quality downtime. Is there anything else we can do to make sure we really get that downtime? I think one of the greatest things that you can do is just incorporate a little bit of breath work to help ground you. So as entrepreneurs, we really get caught up in the idea that as soon as I get this launch, as soon as I finish this book, when I get my first client, when I reach 5,000 a month in sales, when, 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 that life is going to be better. I'll be happy when I get there right? So one of the practices that I love is the idea of grounding yourself in the present moment. So for example, I have a baby right now. And one of the things that I like to do is ground myself in the moment by using a little breath strategy, which I'm going to share with you and ask myself, would this moment feel any different with an extra $10,000 a month, with an extra two clients, with an extra so many products sold, with a new website? Like, would this moment that I'm enjoying now, (laughs) watching my baby girl learn to crawl, would this feel any better with $10,000 extra a month? And the answer is always no. That moment feels the same. Yeah, you you kind of don't need a lot to enjoy watching your baby learn to crawl, do you? You don't really need no. a shiny new thing. You don't really need more money. You just need to be in the moment. Well, and that's what we miss out on, right? Because we think that oh, I'll just I'll just stay up in this this anxious hustle place and go 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 go. And when and when I get there, then I'll enjoy these kind of moments. But it's it's understanding that if you cannot be present and enjoy the journey. When you get there, what you'll realize is it's not better there than here, that you have to take initiative to be present and recognize that these moments will all feel the same when you're there because we'll just find something else to move on to. So the breath pattern that I really uh, love, and I learned it actually in a cognitive behavioral therapy program that I was in to just help with anxiety. It's, uh, it's called square breathing. Um, some people Square have heard of it. Breathing. Yeah, some people call mm. it like four count breathing. But the idea is that you find yourself grounded. And one of the things I like to do is feel the seat under me again. So like bring consciousness back to the fact that my feet are on the floor. I can feel my legs on the chair. Like I'm just aware of myself again. And I will breathe in for a count of four. So like inhale, one, two, three, four. Hold, one, two, three, four. Exhale, one, two, three, four, hold, one, two, three, four. And doing, you know, four or five cycles of that and feeling my feet on the floor, feeling my legs on the chair reminds me, okay, here we are. I am here. What's in front of me? Come back to the present. Get out of my head. 
what am I missing by being stuck in my head right now? That's brilliant. Yes. It's so simple. I feel like you could use that before an important meeting. You could use that before an important call. You could use that after Mm -hmm. the important call to calm down and reconnect. Or Uh, when you're trying to fall asleep. Yes. Yes. And just relaxing. Yeah, because sometimes you're lying in bed and your head is just racing. What do I need to do? Where do I need to be? Is this one of the best tools for calming down the racing brain? That's one of them, but there's one thing that I think is more effective than that, and that's doing a thought download. So that is taking a pen to a piece of paper and literally dumping everything out of your brain onto this piece of paper. My mom taught me really early on. She said, if you're having trouble falling asleep, her theory was that when we think about it all night long and we can't stop worrying about it, our brain is so scared to forget the details that might Mm -hmm. forget that last little thing or exactly what I wanted to say. She said, when you write things down on a piece of paper, your brain feels safe in shutting off because it doesn't have to worry about forgetting what you needed to think about. And whether that be scientifically true or not, it has worked so wonderfully. And one of the most amazing things is too, is when doing that thought download is realizing some of the thoughts that are causing the anxiety and seeing like, oh my gosh, that is such a mean thought or that's not even true or do I want to keep thinking this thought? It's letting you kind of see your mind on paper and it doesn't have to be an hour-long journal session. Set your timer for two minutes and go. Write as much as you can. Get everything out that needs to get out and have it there on your bedside table so that Your brain feels safe in shutting off. There's no emergency. Nothing has gone wrong. It's all there for you when you're ready to tackle it tomorrow. I absolutely love that. And I I completely agree. My business partner, Simon, and I have this thing that whenever we go into a meeting with other people, we look at each other. When there's a next action, never trust someone who doesn't write something down. Because you're in that meeting, they don't write it down. I know it's not going to happen. And I think partly our brains do the same thing. They're like, Alan, if you don't write it down, I'm not going to trust you. So I'm going to hold it upstairs (laughs) and cause you to think about it until you do it. And I think your brains have to trust that it's written down, it's safe, you will get back to it, and then it can switch off and relax. And yeah, I 100% agree. I love that. Yeah. It just it just feels better allowing yourself to drift off, knowing that it's there waiting for you. You don't have to dream about it all night. You don't have to wake up in panic. It's there. It'll wait for you in the morning. <laughs> it always does. It always yeah. does. This has been incredibly helpful, Tanessa. And before I ask you what your closing message is for myself and the audience listening, where can people find out more about your work and what you do and how you help entrepreneurs and Yeah, where can people find out more? The best hub where I keep all the goods is just on TanessaShears.com. There's links there to my social platforms. I'm on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and all the places just as Tanessa Shears. But my website, you can find all of that. And on there, I have a, a masterclass actually, which might be of interest to your listeners. It's called Becoming Limitless. It's about how to optimize your body and brain with biohacking so you can eliminate brain fog and work at full capacity in your business. It takes what we talked about today, but like breaks it down like in much more detail. So that might be something if you are feeling like, hey, this stuff is good. I want more. That that web class will be perfect. But otherwise, I post all kinds of fun stuff on Instagram all the time about, you know, tips and tricks and what foods are best and all kinds of stuff like that. 
I love the title Becoming Limitless. I absolutely love the title because that's how I want to live my life without limits, going and making things happen. What a fantastic title. Oh, thank you. I felt I felt it resonated. Like I like that idea. It's like taking the brain out of the box. <laughs> it's that it's the taking off the limiter that was on yes. our brains. Yes, definitely. So do you have a closing message? What would you like people to do? What's the action you want people to take, including me, because I'm listening hard? I think number one would be to take very seriously the quality of your sleep. You cannot function on poor quality sleep, especially like we talked about. And, and I think this would be so impactful for you as well, is like treating that rapid eye movement, that dream sleep that makes us creative entrepreneurs, treating that like the gold that it is and really focusing in on that, whether that be, you know, investing a couple hundred bucks in a basic Fitbit just to see what's going on with your sleep, reaching out and asking questions, but taking that time to take our brain out of the box and get it working. And the best thing you can do for that is by valuing the quality of your sleep, not just the length. Okay, cool. Uh, so I got 8% REM sleep last night. I'll send you a message in about two weeks time and let you know whether I've managed to increase it. That sounds wonderful. I'll be looking forward to that. <laughs> Tanessa, you have been fantastic. Thank you for coming on the show and being part of this. The whole purpose of this episode is to help you have more energy so you can get more out of your time and live life to the full. Tanessa, you've been brilliant. If you're listening, check out tanessashears.com and definitely have a look at Becoming Limitless. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.